Well, amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading in us in that beautiful worship. Uh, what a joy, what a privilege, what an honor to be together. I hope we never lose sight of what happens every week. You know, you do things as a ritual and sometimes it, it becomes repetitive and we forget the deep meaning and what is actually happening. That as brothers and sisters, as God's children, we are together, we are singing songs, we are worshiping him, we are showing his worth, we're giving singing praise, it's going up to him, it's honoring him, and that is nothing to take lightly. And I hope, church family, that we will never take that for granted. And I hope we will always remember the joy and the privilege that it is to be able to be together, to sing those songs of worship, to worship him through music, and to worship him through hearing uh, his word. And that's what we're going to do here uh, this morning. I do want to pause, and, and uh, church family, I do want to recognize, I'm, I'm standing here this morning because Pastor Brian and his family, uh, they're not with us. They are actually um, together. Uh, last night, Pastor Brian's mother, Iris, uh, she passed away, and she's with the Lord. Uh, they, they texted, they shared with us that while there is sorrow, there is also peace. They know that Iris is um, in the hands of our loving Father. And they take comfort, they take hope in that, but we also know that this is a time um, of sorrow, a, a, a difficult time. So please, will you continue, will you keep uh, Brian, Pastor Brian and his family in your prayers and in the days and the weeks ahead? Send a card, let them know that, uh, that you love them, that you're praying for them, and that you're with them. And before we go any further, I would just like to uh, take some time and, and pray for the family. Father, we do, uh, we lift up... Um, Pastor Brian and the family uh, this morning, and we know that uh, they're together and, and, and that there are tears, uh, that there is sorrow, um, that, that there is sorrow because they, they miss Iris, and, and um, it is a loss. And yet, Father, we also know that there is a peace and a comfort that they can have, that they ex are experiencing, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to cover them with that, that peace and that understanding of knowing that Iris is with you, that she is filled with joy, and that they can look forward to that day when they will be reunited. And so we pray for your comforting peace to be over the Boone family uh, this morning and in the days ahead. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So continue to pray for them. Well, we are, we are here. We're going to continue uh, in our study through uh, the book of John, and uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 16 today. And if you have your Bibles, you can open to, uh, to John chapter 16. And I know, I know we've got some kids in here today, and I was kind of curious. Uh, kids, how many of you have one of these at home? I see. Yeah, she's got one over there. Okay. All right. Any adults out there got, got some of these uh, fishing poles? Uh, you know, I have to say that when I had uh, two boys, I was really excited. There was something, I got super excited because I was like, I'm a, I'm a dad. And I remember when I went fishing as a kid, and I can't wait to take my boys out fishing. And I just, I had these, these great, grandeur pictures of what it was going to be like, you know, sitting on the lake. And, you know, there they are just hauling in a big fish and, you know, like taking it home. Like, Mom, we caught a fish. It was like that big. But that wasn't the reality the first time we went fishing. <laughs> Turns out that fishing is a lot more fun when you catch fish. 
um, which we, we didn't really do. And here was the problem. See, growing up, I did go fishing, but I would just go over to the tackle box, you know, reach in, find any rusty hook that I could, find a worm, and I would just cast it out there. And, you know, I was 12, 13, 14. I had nothing better to do. I just sat there, and, you know, maybe on a good day I'd get a bite. And, and that, was, that, was, that was fine. But the problem was I really didn't know anything about fishing. So I take my boys out, and, and it turns out that it's not that fun when you're not fishing. So I called in the help of a few good friends. The first time we went out, it was actually at family camp, and Pastor Brian was there. And if you know Pastor Brian, he likes his fishing, okay? And he took the boys. He's like, I got a spot. We're going to go right out on these rocks. And you see right there, we're, we're just going to cast it out there, and this is the bait we're going to use. One cast in, guess what happens? We get a fish. I mean, Benjamin was on cloud nine. He was loving it. Then, fast forward a year, and we call up our good friends, Papa Dan and Granny Kay. And Papa Dan, he is a fisherman, let me tell you. And he was telling me, he's like, oh, boys, I got this new technique. And he starts talking. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know you can do it. All right? And so he was, he was putting the lures on the line. And he said, now we're going to go to this lake where I know the fish are at. And we're going to go fishing. And we're going to cast in this spot. And we're going to use this bait. And we want the bait to be, you know, to go down. We're about two feet off the ground. And I'm, I'm just like, I had no idea. But we go fishing with Papa Dan, and guess what? We have huge success. Because Papa Dan, he understood fishing, and I needed to take advantage of everything that I could. When I went fishing, I needed every advantage that I possibly could have so that we could actually catch fish. Because without his help, I was hopeless. Well, here we are. John chapter 16, and the disciples are sitting down with a meal with Jesus, and they are feeling pretty hopeless, a little worse than not catching fish. A lot of things are being brought up that they're extremely concerned about. Through this, through this dinner, uh, Jesus, he, he, he washes their feet, right? And he tells them, by the way, someone's going to betray me. Uh, and by the way, oh, I'm leaving for a little while. And then if that's not enough, just last week, uh, Pastor Nick uh, gave a message. And Jesus said, by the way, the world is going to hate you. How would you be feeling at that dinner party? Yeah, things are getting a little rough. Things are a little difficult. And, and, and there's grief, sorrow, a little fear settling in. And the disciples are probably wondering, how are we going to cope? How are we going to do this? And Jesus tells them, listen, this is a lot to take in. It's going to be difficult, but you have an advantage and when you have an advantage, you need to take it. Take advantage. And so what Jesus is going to say, what we are going to see here in this passage, is that the Holy Spirit is our advantage. And he tells them, he says, so I am, even though I am leaving, I am going, and it's to your advantage. So trust me on this one. So what we're looking at today is what is the advantage of the Holy Spirit over Jesus's earthly presence. What is the advantage of the Holy Spirit over Jesus's earthly presence? Read the passage with me. We're in John chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 15. 
This is what he said. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of, the truth, of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is, has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Will you pray with me? Father, as we look into your word, we, we, we begin with hearts that are full of thankfulness and gratitude that you have given us your living word and that we can study it, we can know it more uh, and, and, and even greater yet, we can live it out and that you speak to us through your word. And we are asking for your Holy Spirit to speak to us now in this moment. Teach us your word. Help us to understand how it affects and changes our lives and our actions so that we can glorify you, so that we can be more like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. And Jesus is explaining all these things that are going to happen, causing a lot of concern to the disciples. And he says, finally gets to this point, and he says, so I'm saying these things so that you will, um, you know, hold on to your faith, that you won't lose hope. And then at the middle of verse 4, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. All right? But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things to you, though sorrow has filled your heart. And so he says, listen, I haven't brought these things up before because I was with you. And you didn't need to worry about anything. And, and I was there to protect you. I was with you. There was no need to talk about it. But now we do have to talk about it. All right? We have to talk about it because Jesus can sense they're getting worried. They're concerned. It's interesting. He says here, he says, um, none of you asks me, where are you going? And, and it's interesting because if you look just a few verses back, the disciples actually did ask him. But it's present tense. And so he's, what he's saying is you can get the idea. In the moment, he's saying, right now, none of you are asking me where I'm going. They're speechless. They're concerned. They're wondering what is going to happen because of the, the persecution that's about to, to occur? He says, I can see the sorrow and the worry that's in your heart. Concern for the future, and you don't know what to expect. He says, but it's, it's okay. It's actually good that I'm leaving. It's actually for your benefit. It's okay, and it's for 
the better. Do you ever hear that before? This is for your own good. I remember specifically when I was a child, I had pink eye and the doctor gave my mom drops for my eyes. And let me tell you, I'm like, if God meant for things to go in our eyes, he wouldn't have made us blink, okay? And I, I screamed bloody murder when, when my mom was trying to put them in my eyes. And what did she say? It's for your own good, right? Did I trust her at the time? Probably not. But Jesus is saying here, it's for your own good that I am going. Yes, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be hard, but it's for your own good that I go because the Holy Spirit is coming. But let's be honest, because I really believe that a lot of times our mindset is the same mindset that the disciples are having at this moment. And they're saying, so what you're telling us, Jesus, is that your lack of physical presence before us, us not being able to see you, to touch you, that is not as good as what is to come. How many of you often just, you feel like, oh, I just wish, if only Jesus was here physically right now, everything would be better. Everything would be okay. My faith would be, be made stronger. I wouldn't have any doubts. Do you ever feel that? Maybe it's just me. But the disciples were really wondering, is, is your physical absence really for the better? And Jesus says, yes. It is to your advantage. And there are two reasons why Jesus leaving and sending the Holy Spirit is to our advantage. And that's what we're going to look at. The first reason that it is to our advantage is because the Holy Spirit convicts the world. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. Listen, he says, so the Holy Spirit is going to come and he is going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, what is this idea of convict? To convict means, the idea here is to expose the facts, to lay the facts out there, to accuse, and it's almost this idea of cross-examining the, the witness, okay? So you're laying the facts out there in this accusation. He's saying it is the Holy Spirit's role to convict. And, and first, he says he, he's going to convict of sin. Why? Because they do not believe in me. And the reality is that if people are blind to who Jesus is, they are also blind to their sin. It's not going to be a shocker that if they don't believe what Jesus said initially, they're not going to believe and understand the sin that is in their lives. But the Holy Spirit will convict them of that. But they need that. I, I remember I was nine years old. And I was a really good religious little Pharisee at that age. And I was trying to explain to my parents why they, I should not ride the bus. All right, kids who are in here, how many of you ride a bus? Okay, yeah, do you enjoy riding the bus? Yeah, all hands went down, that's right. I'm with you, okay, all right, we got one. I hated riding the bus. I just wanted my parents to take me. And so I remember my argument very well. I was like, dad you can't send me on that vehicle of, of heathens. I was like, dad, do you know how bad it is on that bus? Do you know what the kids say? They swear and they tell really dirty jokes. Dad, you can't put me in that, on that bus. And I'll always remember what my dad said. He said, son, you can't expect people who don't know Jesus to obey Jesus. And then he slapped me on the back and said, get on that bus, right? <clears throat> you can't expect people who don't know Jesus to obey Jesus. 
And so the Holy Spirit has to convict of sin because the people who don't know Jesus need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to see the sin in their lives. So he convicts of sin, of righteousness. Now, Jesus in his earthly ministry preached and he told people and exposed people to the fact that our righteousness is not good enough. If you'll remember Jesus's sermon on the mount, he would always say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what Jesus was doing is he kept raising the bar of righteousness, of what we had to do to be good enough, basically saying, you have to be more religious and righteous than what you think are the most righteous people a.k.a. You, you can't be that good. That was Jesus' message, and that's what he preached, that we fall short of our righteousness. But the Holy Spirit would come and preach that and convey that, not just to a crowd on the mount, but rather to every person in the world. The Holy Spirit would convict of righteousness and reveal to people that they do not match up to God's standard of righteousness, that they need Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit would continue that message and he would continue that conviction. And finally, of judgment, convict of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. If you follow and lead the prince of this world, the Holy Spirit will say you will be judged as the prince of this world. And so these are the three areas where the Holy Spirit would come into the world and he would convict the world. Like, okay, okay, that's, that's cool. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit is convicting, but how does that, how is that to my advantage? That is to all of our advantage because we shouldn't be the ones convicting. We're not the ones who are meant to convict the world of their sins. And yet, so often we try or it keeps us from sharing the truth of who Jesus is. Because you see, Jesus, he just explained to the disciples you're going to be going out into a world that is going to persecute you. They will chew you up and they will spit you out. So now I want you to go convict them. How would you feel about that? I don't know about you. I'm I'm not looking forward to that. But that's not what they're called to do. Our role is not to be the ones who convict. Rather, we are the ones to simply convey the truth and allow the Holy Spirit to work. When we try to convict the world things get messy. Because then we begin to try to motivate and push people out of a motivation of guilt. When motivation happens through guilt, making people feel guilty of of, of who they are, that motivation, that change is never lasting nor life-giving. It only leads others to, rather, to to insecurity, to depression, to bitterness, to pent-up anger, It never leads to life-giving change. When we attempt to convict others, it never leads to life-giving change. Our job isn't to make the world around us feel guilty. That's the role of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can convict and he can change the heart of others to convert. Our job is to testify who Christ is and to speak the truth. Don't hear me wrong. Jesus isn't saying, so don't, don't say anything that's offensive. Don't, you know, just be really quiet. 
He, he never says that in, in, in chapter 15. He tells us that we need to testify to, to Christ, to who he is. We need to speak that truth. We don't back away, but we're not the ones convicting. And there's a difference between speaking the truth and guilting with truth. I was thinking about this, and I was really appreciative of, of my parents and how they loved me and how they disciplined me. All right, kids, if you're in here, we're going to talk about discipline. How many of you like discipline? I didn't think so. Okay. You know, I look back, and, and I'm really appreciative. And as, as shocking as it may seem, I was not a perfect child. Um, I did things that required discipline. And I look back, and, and at the time, I didn't see it. But now I see that my parents were very diligent in disciplining, and, and what they would do is two things. They would point out the truth, and they would set the consequence. Now you're like, well, yeah, isn't that discipline? No. Because, and when I became a parent, I learned the temptation. There's a third thing that parents sometimes enjoy doing. Say the truth, set the consequence, and make sure they know they feel guilty. Do you understand that third one? There's a difference there. My parents said, Eric, this, you, what you did was wrong. The Bible tells us not to lie. Now here's the consequence because you lied. And then I sat with that. I thought about that. The spirit worked. Never my, did my parents say, Eric, you shouldn't lie. The Bible tells us to speak the truth. Here's the consequence. Who do you think you are? How, how could you even think about lying? What happens at that moment? Everything changes. My heart changes. I become defensive. I become angry. I become bitter, right? Because they're doing the role of guilt at that point, trying to convict. That is a small picture of the difference in our roles, is to speak the truth, to uphold the truth, but not to guilt people with the truth. We allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And that ought to be life-giving to us. That is an advantage to us that we can speak the truth, but we are not the ones who have to worry about changing the hearts of other people. Do you hear that? It is not your responsibility to change the hearts of other people around you, of the world around you. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Our role is to speak the truth. So the first advantage is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world. Second advantage, the Holy Spirit guides our walk. He says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but, I, but, but you cannot bear them now. He's basically saying, we've been, we've been together for three years. You've learned a lot, but there's a lot more that you need to know. At which point you're probably like, okay, tell us. And he's saying, but there's not enough time. And you can't, hand, you can't handle what I'm about to say. You need something else. You can't comprehend everything that you need to hear. But the advantage is that the Holy Spirit would guide them and lead them. The Holy Spirit would regularly and continuously speak truth into the disciples' lives and into our lives. So the reality is, and that's good, because we can't handle 
knowing everything at once. Too much information leads to overload or leads to a number of things. We can't handle too much information at once because we do a number of things. One, we might squander it. When we're too young, we don't have the experience. You can give us all the information, you know, give all the information, but we're not going to apply it. I remember, like, growing as a child, I always, I always saw my coach at practice before we'd go out for a run. He's like, stretching, you know. I'm like, why do you stretch? You don't need to stretch, right? Some of you are, are laughing. You know, it's like, no, eventually one day you need to stretch, right? And uh, I remember people saying, like, you really shouldn't eat a lot of sugar. And as a child, you could tell that to me all the time, but I, didn't, I, I wasn't going to accept that. I didn't understand it. Until I went to the dentist and lost a few teeth. Well, now with that experience, now I'll apply that knowledge and that understanding. So sometimes if we have too much good information and truth too early, we can't comprehend it and we, we squander it. Sometimes too much information leads us to panic, to worry. Just check the news every morning. First thing when you wake up, look what happens to your life. You start to worry and panic about the future and you don't know what to do about it. It's so overwhelming and it only leads to anxiety and, 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 to, and to worry. Too much information at once. Or sometimes too much information leads us to become obsessed with something. We become obsessed with trying to change, manipulate, and we become focused on something so far out that we forget what's actually happening around us. We become so focused on that nest egg in the future that we forget the life happening in our midst in the day. So sometimes too much information is too much to deal with. And Jesus is saying, listen, you, this life in a broken world, if I told you everything that was going to happen in your life, if I was going to tell you all the pieces, you would be overwhelmed. You'd be panicked. You'd be worrying. You wouldn't, under, you wouldn't know how to apply it. How many of you would love to know what was going to happen in one month from now in your life? The thought of it sounds good. How about two years, three years? We think that having a knowledge and an understanding of the future would bring clarity and comfort to our lives, but Jesus is like, it doesn't work like that. You can't handle all of that. You're finite. And so the Holy Spirit, though, will guide you and here's the beauty. He will guide you daily. He will give you the truth that you need in those moments at that time. And so our advantage is that we have a guide every day to lead us. When about a year ago, we, we, uh, a, a, a team went to Nicaragua, and I remember Katie McGrew, the missionary, she took us to the marketplace, and it was really exciting. I loved it, and I, we got to see all, how they sold the meat, and I was very thankful for our grocery stores, and we're walking through this marketplace. It's packed, and she gave us very specific instructions. She says, we're safe here, but there are people that would love your money. You need to watch me, keep your eyes on me, and stay close to me. What do you think I did when we were walking through that marketplace? I'm like right up to her. Man, if she would have taken my hand, I would have held her hand, right? Because like she was the guide. 
She was the guide. She knew what we needed to do. I needed to watch her. I needed to stay close to her. Jesus is saying, you have a guide. This world will persecute you. This world is difficult. It's counter to everything you believe. It can be scary. It can be overwhelming, but you have a guide and you are safe. You are good as long as you keep your eyes on the guide and stay close. What an advantage we have. And yet there's always those people who think they can go on the tour and they think, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just going to go over here. And you know where you read about them? You read about them like in, I, I was looking up stories of tour guides. Just, just search and see what, to, what stories tour guides have. This one guy's in Australia. He's like, by the way, everybody, everything around you right here can kill you. And especially this blueberry, half of it will kill a grown man. So what does a guy in the tour group do? Eats it, right? And so suddenly they have to take extreme measures to, make, to get this guy to a hospital. Like, who would do that? Who would do that? We have a guide to lead us and direct us and speak truth into our lives to help us. But we have to listen to the guide. I was thinking about fishing the way I fish is different than how a good fisherman fishes. And so I fish like this. And I find a rusty hook and I put a worm on it and I cast it out. And then I get frustrated because the fish aren't biting. And then I get impatient. And then I get really angry because they're catching fish. Meanwhile, the guide is over here saying, you need to use a different bait. You need to cast over here, right here. There's a, a whole bunch of fish that you can catch. Just follow me, come over here. And yet I am too stuck on sitting over here and doing my own thing because I'm not listening to the guide. Jesus reminds us here that we have the advantage of a guide in our lives. The problem is we are too busy and our lives are too cluttered to listen. One of the spiritual practices that Pastor Nick and I have been talking in our, in our class called the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is silence and solitude. Two words that our culture does not like. We don't like that, the idea of being still. The moment I say silence and solitude, everyone immediately thinks, and I am the same, what are the things I'm gonna miss out on? If I have to be silent, if I have to practice solitude, I have to, I have to miss out on some things. Yeah, you might. But I can tell you when you don't practice silence and solitude, you are missing out on the voice of our guide. You are missing out on hearing the Spirit lead and guide you daily in the truth. Who are we to think that we don't need silence and solitude when in Luke 4, chapter 5, Jesus is healing people. He's allowing the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the blind to see. And in the midst of that amazing work, he stops and he walks away from the crowd and he takes silence and solitude to be alone with his father. 
When you are doing the work of raising the lame, giving sight to the blind, allowing the deaf to speak, and healing the sick, when you're doing that, and, you, and Jesus says, and he still goes away to practice silence and solitude, don't you think we need silence? Don't you think we need to find time to listen to our guide in the midst of our lives? D.L. Moody, a great evangelist, was always busy building the kingdom of God, sharing the gospel, building uh, God's kingdom. All, his schedule was full and someone asked him, how do you, and he would pray for hours in the morning. And someone said, how do you have time to pray? And you know what he said? I am too busy not to pray. I am too busy not to pray. What would be the point of being busy, of going from here to there, doing all these things every day if we are not guided by the Spirit? I'm convinced that the health of the church today and tomorrow is directly correlated to the, our time of silence and solitude. And when I say that, I mean a quiet time. Time for a devotional where you step away and you pray and you listen to our guide. If our church, if we as a church here in Edmonds, in our nation, around the world, are too busy to stop and have time alone with the Lord, he cannot guide us through a world that is broken and seeking to destroy. We have to be quiet and listen to our guide. <clears throat> so church family, what time are you taking daily to listen to the Lord? I know there's some kids in here too. We talk about quiet time. You don't, it's not just for the adults. I remember waking up in the mornings and kids, I remember seeing my dad, he was sitting on a register and he had a blanket over him and he had his Bible open. I didn't know sometimes, I thought he was sleeping. I still don't know. Maybe he was. But every morning I saw my dad praying in silence before the Lord. And he told me, Eric, you don't, you don't have to be old to do that. I was so excited because in the winter I'd wake up and when my dad was sitting there, I'd get my blanket and I'd sit on that register and, and I'd, I'd cozy up and I would get the Bible out and I would read just like my dad. So kids, I want you to know that you can and should take time to be quiet and listen to the Lord and read his word. To close, brothers and sisters, we have two huge advantages today. We live in a world that is broken, a world that is hurt, and sometimes a world that seeks to hurt Jesus' followers. We cannot afford to not take advantage of what Jesus has given to us in the Holy Spirit. So I ask, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to convict those around you? Are you willing to speak the truth in love, but allow the Spirit to work in their hearts? And will you trust in the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of those around you? Don't back away from speaking the truth, but let the Holy Spirit change the heart. And finally, church family, are you taking time 
for silence and solitude to listen to your guide? Are you taking time every day, throughout the day, to say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do at my next business meeting. I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to this kid in class. Kids, I don't know how I'm supposed to treat little Johnny when he keeps picking on me. These are big things that keep happening that are hard. But we have a guide who can help us in every moment throughout the day, speaking truth into our lives. Listen to the Holy Spirit, your guide. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you have given us the advantage of having the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not a moment goes by when we aren't able to stop and to listen and to seek and know your truth and know how you would have us live it out. My prayer today for our church family Father, is that you would allow us to take full advantage of the Holy Spirit, that we would speak the truth and that your Holy Spirit would change hearts around us. And Father, that you will guide our hearts as we pause and take time to listen to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.